0: You're listening to the U.S. Manufacturing Workforce Podcast, brought to you by Maddie. In each episode, you'll hear conversations about workforce challenges that manufacturing executives are facing today and solutions for tomorrow. We'll discuss labor shortages, the manufacturing skills gap, supply chains, the future of talent, and other topics that are top of mind for manufacturing leaders today.
1: Welcome to another episode of the U.S. Manufacturing Workforce Podcast. I'm your host, Michelle Vincent, and my guest today is Mark Robinson, Principal Consultant at MSR Strategy. He applies game theory and economics to strategy, decisions, negotiations, and risk management. Mark spent most of his career as an internal consultant for General Motors and led strategy projects for every labor negotiation at GM between 1999 and 2019. He recently wrote an article on the UAW strike at the Detroit Three Automakers for Industry Week, which caught my eye, so I'm thrilled to have him on the show today to share his insights and predictions with us. Welcome to the show, Mark. How are you?
0: Fine. Thank you, Michelle. Glad to be here.
1: Well, let's start with you. Tell us a little bit about your background, what you do at MSR Strategy, and what your role was at General Motors.
0: Sure. So I am... uh, as you alluded, uh, an economist, uh, game theorist, strategist. I taught at UCLA and Stanford before joining General Motors um, in the mid-80s. I was an internal consultant at GM with one year off to work in the H.W. Bush White House uh, on the Council of Economic Advisors. So at GM, I led uh, all uh, kinds of strategy projects. I was viewed as a pricing expert, for example, for the company for many years. But My favorite projects were uh, applying game theory and wargaming and scenario wargaming to really complicated decisions. The tools are a very powerful way of gathering the mental model of the key decision makers and subject matter experts inside the company, and then predicting how things are going to turn out in a very complicated issue, and giving strategic and tactical advice to end up with a better outcome for the company. And so since uh, retiring from GM, uh, I've been doing that for other companies and uh, enjoyed enjoyed applying those, those tools.
1: It all sounds very fascinating. But for those who may not be familiar with game theory, can you just explain what that is in simple terms for us?
0: Sure. Uh, so game theory is a branch of economics and uh, mathematics. But it's basically It makes uh, predictions about how people will behave based on what's important to them and what levers they have. And so the way I would work it would be to bring the decision makers and uh, subject matter experts into a room, lead them through a process where we systematically go through who's involved, what they can do, and what they want. And the key aspect is putting yourselves in the shoes of all the other players and thinking about... What's really important to them, whether they happen to control that lever or not, and um, whether they want that lever pulled or don't want it pulled. And from that, you can uh, predict what each player is likely to do, then by appropriately uh, intervening in the game, uh, behaving more strategically, you can uh, end up with a better outcome, and you can avoid some of the risk of a danger outcome. So... It's a, a way to make your strategy uh, better and more, more robust. Awesome. Got it.
1: So let's talk about the article that you wrote a little bit. So for anyone who may not have seen it, that it was titled, The Unprecedented UAW Strike Was Very Predictable. So I want to kind of attack that in, with two different questions here. So let's start with the unprecedented part. Um, can you explain to our listeners what is unprecedented about this particular strike?
0: Sure. There's a lot of features, and in some ways, they kind of follow on each other. First of all, this was uh, earlier this year, there was the first ever direct election for the UAW president. He came in promising to be much more aggressive and uh, to do things differently. So it, traditionally, the UAW would pick one of the three companies in Detroit and say, This was our uh, target. They would do that right after Labor Day, and there would be a two week intensive negotiation while they um, tried to reach a settlement. In almost every year until 2019, they reached an agreement on midnight uh, of the strike of the contract expiration. The union then takes that to the membership. They vote on it, and then uh, assuming it passes, They then move on to the other two companies with a pattern. This year, he chose not to pick any target. They they are still negotiating simultaneously with all three companies. And he called strikes at all three companies the day the the contract expired. But um, partly to keep it from being very expensive for for the UAW, they initially struck only three assembly plans. And then a week later, they added some uh, parts distribution centers for GM and Stellantis. A week after that, they added um, an assembly plant at GM and Ford. So they've been escalating every week. I expect them to continue to escalate every week, but that is an unprecedented uh, strategy.
1: I'm curious if you think that, because obviously that had not happened before, do you think that any of the automakers were expecting that to happen? Was that part of their contingency planning?
0: It should have been. Sean Fain had promised to do things differently. He had promised to, he was already bargaining all through the summer in public. That was unprecedented. He delayed identifying a target. That was unprecedented. They should have been prepared for him to walk out at all three you know if they had been prepared for them to walk out at all three they should sh- they should also have been prepared for it to be a partial strike what they could what the uaw is calling a stand-up strike and so that um only if they struck shut down all three companies it would burn through the uaw strike fund very quickly once there was a decision to go after all three at once it was um predictable that it would be a partial strike as well.
1: Okay. So in terms of that predictability, you said this one was predictable. You also said the 2019 strike was predictable more than a year in advance. So I want to get your thoughts on on why that is for both of them. And I know um, one of the reasons that you had mentioned was some of the um, UAW corruption that was taking place. And And I had a podcast uh before the contract expired talking about different components here and one of the things that i mentioned i'm certainly not an expert but i did mention the fact that when you do have new union leadership that typically you know they have they have something to, to prove and in this case you have a new international president right and then that coupled with all the corruption that was happening from my vantage point anyways I was you know, of the opinion that that right there is kind of a recipe for, for something to happen. But why, in your um, opinion, was this one predictable and then the 2019 as well?
0: Well, I, I think going back to 2019 actually helps explain this year as well. So in 2015, there was a disastrous negotiation where the Stellantis and the union had a tentative agreement Um, The union leadership did a terrible job Of selling it to the membership It included uh, union taking over Healthcare which they didn't like The union members voted it down Now what The union should have done Is then go out on strike against Atlantis Which was FCA at the time But should have gone out on strike And let the members blow off Some steam Rejigger the contract a little bit without making it more Expensive and then reached the agreement with Stellantis. They didn't do that. Instead, they kept bargaining with the members not going out on strike and very shortly agreed to a much more expensive contract that the members liked a lot better. So the members had been trained to say no. They were trained to, their leadership was incompetent because they they didn't get the best deal that was available. And they had been trained that the way to get a better deal was to vote down a contract well then they went to gm very close vote um even though gm actually went up on signing bonus but uh, the skilled trades voted it down though overall it barely passed the still trades got a better deal without a strike Ford, it then went and they barely passed it forward then they went to next tier, which is a major supplier the membership Rejected a contract the leadership proposed by ninety-seven percent. It absolutely unprecedented rejection of the leadership. After a one-day strike, they got a better deal. Coming out of that bargaining, the union leadership had lost credibility completely with the membership. And the thing they had to be focused on for the next round, 2019, was making sure that the members ratified whatever they agreed to that was their number one objective it was only reinforced by a corruption scandal but therefore it was predictable more than a year in advance that whichever company was the lead because again they were following the traditional pattern bargaining whichever company was the lead would get a strike and it would be a long strike because the, the leadership had to be con- convinced the membership that they were they were getting the best deal and that the membership needed to be wanting to come back to work. That um so uh, and it became inevitable that it would be General Motors when GM botched a plant closing announcement in November of 2018. You know almost a year in advance of the negotiations. So, so at that point, you know, if you will, the, the, the die was cast. It it was very predictable that this would happen and it would be a, the longest, you know, that there was a 40 day strike at general motors, you know, it was predictable. It had to last on, you know, about that long because that would be what it took for the members to, to be ready to go back to work. And it didn't matter what GM had offered. They had to strike in order to get through the negotiations. So something similar this year. What's happening again, there was a very close uh, runoff election and the insurgent won in this first ever direct election. So it wasn't merely that there was a new president, there's almost always a new president, but that there was a president who was on the outside. And he came in promising to do things differently And he came in promising to be vastly more aggressive. And he's been very public about an extraordinarily aggressive and long list of demands, not just massive wage increases, but getting rid of tier twos, avoiding temps, bringing back defined benefit pensions, adding cost of living increases to the contract, on and on. So once you're bargaining in public, it's very hard to back off the demands. They couldn't have done that credibly with the union. And he, if he had done so, he would have been very likely to be voted out the next time, in addition to which he might not have gotten the contract, the, the, whatever agreement he had reached approved by the members. So it became certain that he would strike But if he wants to do it differently, the only really way to do it differently was not pick Ford instead of GM, but to strike all three companies at once. It becomes inevitable when you realize that what matters is more the internal dynamics within the union rather than, you know, what's going on at the bargaining table. So that's that's the key insight is that it's, an internal political, I mean, they, they, they care about what the, is in the contract, the members do, and the, so does the union leadership. But when does it end? It ends when they're confident that the members are going to like the deal, are going to approve the deal, and are going to be think that it's a win. And that can't happen now, and it can't happen a couple of weeks from now. It's got to play out over... Uh, a substantial additional amount of time in order for that key dynamic to be resolved.
1: That makes sense. Um, So you touched on this already, but just to kind of go through the list again. So initially, when the contract expired, there were three plants that went out on strike, one at GM, Ford, and Stellantis. Their next move was 38 parts distribution centers across General Motors and Stellantis. And then the following week after that, they ended up taking out two assembly plants, one at GM and one at Ford. Is there a method to their madness in terms of why they took these locations out and the timing? Or can you talk to us about that?
0: Yeah. So so first of all, what are they doing? They're maximizing publicity while minimizing damage, at least so far so they maximum publicity because they've they're doing this unprecedented three company strike and each week there's a new round of stories because they've taken out new plants so the three plants they they chose were plants that mattered to the companies but they did not touch the full size truck plants and they still have not touched the full size truck plants all three companies make the vast majority of their money from full-size trucks and full-size utilities. So by leaving those uh, still open, the companies are still making money. So part of what they're doing is not shrinking the pie. I also argue that from a game theory point of view, they're keeping their powder dry and using that as leverage to try and get the companies to come up with, with offers they're trying to play off the companies against each other in past bargaining the companies did that in august while they when they were essentially trying to become the lead because it it was advantageous to craft be the one the company crafting the pattern this time around no one wanted to be lead because they knew that it would be a disaster um, and that they would be struck so they weren't bidding against each other to become lead. They wanted one uh, the other guys to be the lead so that, the, you know, let them bear the burden of the strike. So the union has switched and is now trying to get some of the bidding war going by being selective about which manufacturers get added. The other thing about the parts distribution center, General Motors actually ran the parts distribution centers during the 2019 strike with salaried workers. It's, about the least painful place that they could have struck but it was also the place where you've got 38 sites well that means 38 local markets where they're getting hearing about the UAW strike Sean Fain is now the most famous labor leader in America he's the most famous UAW leader since Walter Reuther died in 1970 he's uh, had Joe Biden walking the picket line with him. It doesn't get any better than that for a union leader. So again, thinking about their objectives, it's predictable how this is playing out. What's hard to predict is how does it end neatly? The end game, I think they, they haven't been as strategic in thinking about the end game as they have been in thinking about the, the, starting the war.
1: What do you think will be their next steps? So in this Friday, do you have any, any guesses as to what they might do in terms of taking out additional sites? I,
0: you know, I, I think they will continue to, to take out sites. I think the key thing to pay attention to is whether they take out any of the full size truck plants. I would guess probably not this week, but I don't know that for sure. Um. And my guess would be they'd save that maybe for next week. They they want to keep this strike in the news. They want to keep the pressure on the companies through that. And um, so they're going to keep looking for ways to keep the strike in the news. And you know just being out on strike won't do it, but adding a plant will do it. So they will keep adding plants.
1: And it, it keeps me, I sit down next to my, and open up Facebook for all of his lives on every Friday. So it's definitely keeping people um, interested and, and paying attention to what's going on. Um, so I understand it from that perspective, why they would be doing that. But in terms of the approach, you know, I, I don't know if I, I heard it from union members, or I read it in the news, but one thing that has popped up is the fact that, you know, it's, there's the union during this is supposed to be united, and the approach is putting more pressure on some workers than others, right? Because the people who went on strike initially will be on strike the longest moving forward. Do you think that there's any negative impact to that strategy as it um, you know sort of relates to the membership and getting them all to you know come together and vote on a new contract? or do you think that this approach um, isn't going to have any impact on that?
0: Well, I think it depends a little bit on how long it goes. The early weeks of a strike, it's not terrible being on strike. You're you're off from work. I mean, some of you've got some signing up for some picket line duty, but you're you're not working. So that you know, and these are hard jobs, um, and so a break from those hard jobs is is not a terrible thing. And in some ways, you mentioned that you know it's it's a burden on them, but they're collecting strike pay now. Admittedly, it's just 500 a week, but that's coming from everybody. So there's a little bit of a sense that the people who are still working, hey, I'm still doing these hard jobs and the my, my union dues that built that strike fund are going to other workers and not to me. I don't think that's a key dynamic yet. I think that there will be pressure um, to get resolved, but I think that that there's also tension inside the union leadership. At least one of the three bargainers, the Chuck Browning at Ford supported the other guy in the election. So, um, that affects the, the internal dynamic, you know, um, Sean Fain has to be worried. Will Chuck Browning run against me next time around? So, Again, understanding the politics within the union, and you're, I think you're correct in saying it's a risky strategy to have this partial strikes, and you don't know until the day whether your, your, your plan is going on strike or not. That's a, it's a challenging thing for the union to negotiate, uh, I mean, internally. But I think, at least to date, the, the pain has been small enough that that hasn't been a problem. You know, only seventeen percent of the workforce is uh, the union workforce is out so far.
1: Yeah, that's not a lot. That's not a lot for sure. So, you spoke about this a little bit, but I wanna I wanna come at you directly with this question because it's what's on everyone's mind. It's on union members' mind. It's on I'm sure everybody working at these companies, but then also all the suppliers, all the dealerships. Um, so many people's minds. Uh, and one of the things that I liked about your articles, and then also you have a, um, a newsletter C-suite that I uh, signed up for. So I've been reading your um, articles there as well. Y- you had stated uh, in both places, I believe, that you think this is going to be a long autumn. And so... Million dollar question is, how long do you think this strike is going to last? I know you don't have a crystal ball, but applying game theory and some of the other components that a lot of people probably aren't thinking about, like the holidays. What, what do you think?
0: Yes. Yeah. So a couple of milestones that I think help me bookend, if you will, my, my prediction. One is the 40-day strike at General Motors in 2019. Okay. I think this strike has to go on for longer. At even the lead at whatever company settles first than the 40 days the 40day strike was sort of the maximum the members could tolerate um, but this is a much milder version because of the ramp up and you've got the you want uh, Sean Fain wants to show he was tougher than Gary Jones his predecessor so who who went to jail but but <laughs> um, he wants to show he's tougher than that. Um, so, so that's why I think it's got to last at least 40, 40 days that puts it n- near the end of, of October. What sets the, the other bookend in my mind is Christmas. So the UAW, um, at all three companies gets from the 24th of December through January 2nd off. and Um, as paid holidays if they go through that those those paid holidays disappear never to return so um it will be very hard to persuade the members to be on strike through christmas so so they've got to settle with all three companies if you will before christmas so i think Halloween is kind of the earliest that I think that any of the companies will settle. And I think they will try, once one company settles, they will try and accelerate the process to get the strike over at all three. Um, I, unlike, again, the traditional pattern bargaining, the the other two companies, whichever, whoever they settle with, the other two will be on strike and they will be continue to be on strike while they're negotiating the 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 revised agreement and while they're getting the agreement ratified so there will be pressure uh, from the company certainly and and some sent from the members as well to once one company settles let's get the rest done um, so i think that will happen relatively quickly but it may not you know it still might be weeks um, what i would say to any supplier is be ready. Be be prepared. This is cash is king. To you know, for for now, they're getting paid for the parts they you know. Even if they're the plant they're supplying goes down, they're still got 60 days or whatever before the that starts to affect their cash flow. But um, but the 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 strike could easily go on for um uh two months and maybe even three months that's at one or two of the uh, companies and uh that will be very hard for the entire industry um uh, so the other thing i would say is be paying very close attention to which plants your you as a supplier which your parts go are destined for you know that's Pretty obvious for the tier one suppliers, but tier two and tier three um, may not be, have as much visibility to which products their, their parts are in. Yeah. So uh, worth finding out.
1: Yep. Absolutely. I know. It's it's a topic, uh, top of mind for, for lots of suppliers. I had a, a few different supply chain personnel on the podcast recently talking about these things. For anybody listening to this episode that didn't catch those, I would absolutely go check those out in one of my episodes. Um, they shared an operational restart readiness checklist. So for, you know, the tier, especially the tier two suppliers, um, tier ones typically have more robust contingency plans, but for all of them, they should be thinking about, um, you know, planning for this and then planning for the restart after after all of this <laughs> is over.
0: Right. and And it may not be, you know, even after the Detroit 3 settle, there are unionized suppliers that Contracts are still up. And so it, it it's, you know, and those, many of those could end up shutting down the companies, the the Detroit 3 again. As I say, a long autumn, it'll be lots of potential for disruption going in, going all the way through the end of the year.
1: Well, thank you so much for sharing your insights with us today, Mark. I really appreciate it, especially, especially your thoughts on duration because I think that's what's missing from a lot of the information that's out there. Obviously, um, journalists and things like that don't have the same insights that you have. So I'm really appreciate you coming on the show today and chatting with us about all this. Where can people connect with you and where can they sign up for your newsletter if they're interested in doing that?
0: Absolutely. Um, so they, I'm on LinkedIn. Um, m-a-r-c robinson um and i i can be the newsletter is uh, www.csuite that's suite that's c-s-u-i-t-e newsletter.com and lo- it's a free subscription so I encourage anyone to sign up
1: I I also encourage everybody. He has some great insights in there. I've found the newsletter wonderful. So thanks again for coming on the show, and I'll be sure to link all of those uh, in the show notes for our listeners as well. Have a great day, Mark.
0: Thank you, Michelle. Thanks so much for listening to the U.S. Manufacturing Workforce, a Maddie podcast. If you heard tactical insights to implement, make sure to hit subscribe in your favorite podcast player please give us a rating leave us a comment and share the episode with someone you know until next time